0: SAS Backwards is sponsored by Austin Lawrence Group, specializing in demand gen for SAS. It sure is noisy. I deleted 100 emails from vendors just this morning. Your buyer has gotten better at ignoring you, and you're going to need a big idea if you want to cut through all that clutter. Austin Lawrence is just the right agency to help you find it. So if your campaigns are falling on deaf eyeballs, let's talk. Visit AustinLawrence.com today and let's build something bigger. Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome everyone to SaaS Backwards, a podcast that helps SaaS CMOs and CEOs to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. Our guest today is Christina DeRocca, who leads global demand and America's marketing for Riverbed Technology, a SaaS that helps IT teams to deliver exceptional digital experiences for employees and customers. Christina, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's going to be a great episode, I know already. Hey, before we dig in, could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and the company?
1: Yeah, of course. So I've been in SaaS companies doing some sort of demand generation or, you know, film marketing for the last 10 years. And so, yeah, now I'm with Riverbed. We help IT teams to really help employees and customers with their digital experiences. So you think about when you go to work and your apps are crashing or your device is crashing or the network is not working working. All of those things, we help IT teams really help anticipate those problems and help your employees and customers really have a better experience there.
0: So there's like measurement and reporting of the behavior of these applications, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. We're actually now playing in a new category, which is unified observability, which takes into account all of that. So all the visibility, all the data, you know, bringing data from a lot of different places and making sure that you understand what's happening. And up until now, all of those things were sort of separate. The network was was one thing, the device is another thing, the apps are another thing. We actually pull data from all of those different places and help the IT folks really understand what's happening. You know, where is the problem, how can we solve it?
0: You know, it's interesting, this idea of sort of a comprehensive view of things seems to be a trend, you know, not just in this monitoring and health kind of space for the apps, but just sort of generally in a, such an interconnected world, it seems like <laughs> being able to actually understand what's happening at a larger level is harder and yet more important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, our IT environments have gotten even more complicated in the last couple of years with folks working remotely or working from anywhere. If you think about the IT tickets that these guys are getting, they can escape very quickly. And before, when you were in the office, you would just bring your laptop to the IT person and they could help you right there. But now, you know, we're all at home or working from, you know, whatever. So it gets a lot more complicated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My favorite location is the beach. So
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs)
0: Hey, let's dig in and talk more about demand generation, lead generation, the revenue side of your marketing responsibility and experience. And why don't we get right in with lead generation? It's sort of the redheaded stepchild, the orphan (laughs) in modern marketing, but um, I'm not so sure it's going away too soon. What about you?
1: Right. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And what I think needs to go away is how we treat leads, right? A lead comes in because they downloaded an asset, a white paper or something. You don't want to jump on the phone and annoy that person. You really want to understand their journey and where they are before you actually call them or try to get in touch with them, right? So I don't think the leads are the problem or the lead funnel is the problem. I think that is still there and we're all still doing inbound and we still have, you know, leads coming in through our website. It's really about, you know, how do we evolve that? And how do we make sure that we're creating the demand so that the leads come in and are really the leads that we want to get in touch with?
0: Yeah. So the idea that I think it was sales.com did a whole bunch of research on years ago. You've got to get to the lead within five minutes of the form fill or right. they've forgotten who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we don't want to send our BDRs right onto the phones
1: Right. And that's absolutely true for your high intent needs. If someone is saying, Hey, I want to speak with sales, hey, I want a demo, yes, absolutely. You know, get in front of them as quickly as you can. We all know that, you know, the first vendor to get in front of the customer is the one driving the narrative, right? And they're the ones telling the story. So you're probably going to be able to influence that deal a lot faster. But, you know, not all leads are created equal. So, you know, your asset downloads, your content indications, you all of those programs, you shouldn't be calling all those leads in five minutes.
0: Yeah, but they're important important still to driving opportunity. So it's, I guess, in the nurture where these leads become something. And maybe those are the leads we nurture to some greater intent and engagement with us. Mm
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, in, especially for SaaS companies and B2B companies in general, we need to look at it from an account perspective, right? We're selling to accounts. The decisions are going to be made in a committee and with a buying center. So the one lead downloading one piece of content might not be that significant. But if you then go and look at the account and see, you know, a lot of different leads that are downloading the same type of content or the same type of product content or something like that, then, like you're saying, then let's nurture that relationship. Let's make sure that maybe we don't hit the phones and start calling them. But, you know, we can put more content in front of them. We can make sure that we're tracking what they're doing to the point where they do hit that, hey, I want to speak with sales button, right?
0: So here's a really good point. This might be the instigation of ABM on an account, right? Mm-hmm. If, they, if they're if they not known to you in an ABM space, you might say, hey, XYZ is starting to touch our content. Let's build out that account map and start putting them in an ABM motion if we've got that available to us.
1: Yeah. And I always talk about ABM working with demand generation very closely there. To me, they go hand in hand. They're not two different functions or two different teams in the company, right? They have to work together because the demand team is really generating that demand, right? Starting that relationship, starting to put that content out there. And then by the time you actually get that account engaged and you see, like I was saying, more people you know, engaging with your content, then that's where your ABM motion can start and you can start to do more research on them and start to, you know, move them into either an ABM program or a little bit more of an ABM motion. So yeah, absolutely. They go hand in hand and it's a little bit of how the journey goes for your buyers.
0: Makes a lot of sense. So I think of the thing we discussed in our preparation was the difference between demand generation and lead generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always love to ask people how they view the divide there. So I'd love for mm-hmm. you to share with our listeners, you know, your take on the difference and the handoff between
1: Yeah. So I think lead generation is sort of like the old way of doing marketing, right? 10, 15 years ago, we all bought into the inbound methodology, which was great at the time. We started to have more automation, more technology, and we could actually see who was coming to our website. We could capture some of those leads or some of those names, right? But now marketing has evolved and we all see that, you know, like we were saying, hitting the phones for a person who just downloaded a piece of content might not be, you know, the best use of our time. And so that's where demand generation comes in. And I think... Lead generation is more the capture piece. So you're capturing the leads, but you need to do demand generation first, meaning you need to really understand your buyers. You need to understand your market. You need to also understand what's happening in the world, right? Right now where it looks like we might be going into a recession. That's going to impact how your buyers buy. And all of those things, put all of those things together in your content, on your website and really educate your market. And, you know, Sangram Rajdari talks a lot about point of view, right? Having a point of view. What is the point of view of your company? How do you differentiate? So all of that is demand generation and you're doing all of that to really create that demand and have place in the market. And then by the time the folks are starting to hit your website, are starting to really understand how you could help them and they end up asking for a demo or trying to speak with sales, then that's your lead generation and that's how you're capturing the demand. So again, I don't think lead generation is evil. It is a part of demand generation and you know we need to be paying attention to both.
0: It's interesting, you know, everybody has a little different take on it. To me, you know, the lead gen is really finding people who are there now ready to get into the sales process. And however you get them, they become a lead. It's almost, I'm almost indifferent how we identify them and engage with them as long as we capture that opportunity that's in market. And then our demand gen is this stuff that we're doing to be ready, like being ready for when you're ready as a client to consider a solution. So whether we have to educate you about the problem, educate you about the solution, you know, in your case, you want to create a category, this idea of, you know, this much larger view of what's transpiring across, your environment. Well, so that's a problem awareness kind of demand gen, right? Make mm-hmm. people aware that all these things are happening that might be outside their yeah. current screen. And yet now there's a solution. So problem then awareness, you know, problem then solution awareness. You had mentioned to me that, you know, you've had some issues with your sales CRM and marketing and friction that's created by the integration there. Can you kind of dig in a little bit for us? Because I think marketing and sales automation is something we all have to live with. We all have different flavors. So it might be interesting to hear about your experience and what you're doing there, because I thought that was kind of a nice deep dive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this goes back to trying to sell to accounts and seeing the account as, you know, your market. And, you know, unfortunately, Salesforce wasn't built for <laughs> account-based marketing. It was more, you know, and 20 years ago, 25 years ago when it was all about, you know, the leads coming in. And so we do have like within Salesforce itself, it's hard because you have the leads, which are not matched to an account. You have contacts who are people that are matched to an account, but a lead and a contact is the same thing, but not really. And you know, so it creates all these, you know, yeah, you're these- not. Uh, You're not a person.
0: You're not a person until you're associated with a company and an opportunity, right?
1: Exactly. So I've seen, you know, a lot of companies have trouble with this. Your leads end up just like floating in your system, but they're not really attached to anything. And so it's hard to identify them. And unless you have a very strict process where, you know, everything just gets matched and gets, you know, added to an opportunity or something like that, you end up with a bunch of leads and you're like, well, what do I do with these? Right. How do I action these? So even with the systems that we have, you know, they do create friction. So you have to overcome that and really understand what are the other pieces that I need here to to make this work for me, right? And there's tools out there to match leads to accounts and do all of that automated in the process, in the background, really. But yeah, but the system itself is creating that friction sometimes. So,
0: so if the Salesforce.com product management people are listening, yes. here's an opportunity, Please right? Please
1: fix this.
0: <laughs> Create an ABM play within the Salesforce.com object universe. I think that would be pretty smart.
1: And that's part of Salesforce's business. They have created add-ons and, you know, other things that you can add to the platform to really make it work for those situations. But, you know, if you just have Salesforce itself out of the box, it doesn't really include all of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that the nature of the complex sale becoming more and more collaborative means that the account-based play, whether it's a sales play or you know, a marketing motion, and really both should be walking hand in hand here, is more and more important. You know, unless you're selling a sub $50,000 a year solution, you're right. going to be in a collaborative decision environment. So we need automation that's going to support that on sales and marketing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Let's try and make this a little more human, because I think that you know we sort of breezed past it there. That in the traditional Salesforce data model, you're not really a person until you're tied to an opportunity, <laughs> you're only a lead. But what are the ways in which we can humanize marketing? It's really interesting. You know, I do a fair amount of writing for clients and I find myself trying to humanize these solutions. You know, so I'm writing things like, you know, connecting blah, blah, blah to people. You know, that's sort of become my go-to starting point in the creative process. But I think it's sort of a longing for wanting to humanize marketing, humanize Uh these companies. And how are you approaching that aspect of the work?
1: Yeah, so that was made very apparent to us during the pandemic, actually, because like I said, you know, our buyers are supporting their employees and their customers, which for the better part of two years couldn't go into the office, they couldn't get their problems solved. So our messaging really shifted to, like you're saying, being more human. I mean, like, guys, we know you're getting all these tickets, we know your load is just like off the charts, you can't really manage all of this. And honestly, all of us when we get frustrated with IT, right, we yell at the IT person and, and It's not their fault. They can't manage everything. So, yeah, absolutely. We're really trying to understand, you know, how can we help you on a human level, right? Like you want to be good at your job and you want to really excel. And right now you're in this situation where you can't excel because you just don't have the tools. So, our messaging has shifted a little bit. Like I said, also now, you know, with whether there's a recession or not, but obviously, you know, the economy is slowing down. We see a lot of, you know, changes in the world. We're also trying to bring that into our messaging and and really make it feel like we're not just here to sell you stuff. We really want to help you because in the end, we all know people buy from people and you know we need to connect with them on a human level.
0: How are you gaining these insights into the problems of your customers and prospects?
1: Yeah, we speak with them all the time. Obviously, we get a lot of feedback from our sales team and our customer success team, but even us on the marketing team, you know, we try to speak with customers as much as we can. We have a customer advisory board, which with some of our top customers where we can get a lot of insights from them. We're now putting together a few events in the fall and, you know, we'll be in person. So we're going to have folks there talking to customers. So, yeah, really just speaking with your customers. It's as simple as that. It's not easy, but it's as simple as that.
0: Well, I feel like that's the drum we as marketers need to keep banging on that the customer insight is sort of fundamental to the work we're all trying to accomplish. And I don't know about for you, but for me, it's a yellow, if not a red flag when leadership sort of pushes us away from speaking to customers. So I think that's really important. And I just wanted to underline that. And as well, We had another recent podcast episode where we talked about customer advisory boards as a great way to engage. And I'm wondering, can you just dig in a little bit with us? You know, is it one customer advisory board you're running and who's in it? And, you know, what are your goals in running that CAB?
1: Yeah, so we are evolving our CAB because we, well, Riverbed went through a merger at the end of last year. So we've had two companies come together. So we needed to evolve that and really sort of like, you know, build it again. But I'll tell you what we were doing before the merger when I was at the other company, not Riverbed, but Eternity. We had a customer advisory board of 15 people. Yeah, 15 customers. They were some of our top customers, but not our happiest customers either. I think you need to have a balance there and really understand, hey, you know, we can't just get all of our happy customers because then we don't get really the feedback that we need, right? So what we did was we would meet quarterly and we would have our executives and you know one person from each of those customers get together and we would go through an entire day of sessions around our product, their feedback, what they thought, what they were using, the challenges they were having. And those sessions were just so, so amazing in terms of learning from our customers and really understanding their challenges because usually even your top customers, yeah, they're talking to your customer success team. They might be talking to your product team but you know everybody else in the company is not really getting that exposure whereas doing these events myself for example our CMO you know some of the marketing folks we were able to attend and you know facilitate those sessions so that is a really great way to get in front of your customers and really learn from either your biggest customers or you know some of your best customers and then the other piece at Riverbed they used to have more of a technical advisory group so it was more sort of like the practitioners so not the executive level but the practitioners and that's also a really great way to understand understand your customers because those are the folks using the product. They're in it day in and day out. They really understand and they are the ones having the challenges that you're trying to solve. So again, you know, getting them together, listening into the conversations between them, not just you talking to them or them talking to you. It's really about them networking and you know you can learn so much from them just speaking to each other.
0: I mean it's pretty clear you got product and company kind of feedback and use case information. Did you also get any personal insights into the pressures of these executives?
1: Yeah, that's the great thing about having a small group. People get, you know, very vulnerable and they do share stories, you know, hey, this happened the other day and how have you guys fixed this? Or, you know, can somebody help me with this other thing? And you really get to know the people that you were saying, right? And you can start to humanize that a lot better. So yeah, we did get a lot of really great insight and, you know, personal stories from those.
0: Yeah. And what's your perspective on the risk of putting customers in the room, especially if you're opening it up to people that aren't 100% happy? How do you view that risk?
1: Yeah. And that was something we thought through very, very carefully because you're right. Someone could come in and, you know, disrupt the session because they're unhappy or they don't agree with what you're doing or how you're doing it. But we thought it was important for us to hear those comments also. And just understand if that was one unique customer who, you know, didn't agree with something or wasn't happy about something, or if it was across the board. And I'm not talking about, you know, a customer who's unhappy because like someone didn't get back to them or something like that. You know, it was really about about hey, this company, they have been asking for this feature or this type of thing, and it's just not on our roadmap for whatever reason. It's really good to have those customers come and you can actually expand on that and really explain like, hey, you know, we hear you, we know what you're saying and we understand your challenge. Here's how we are addressing it or here's other things that we're doing to also address that challenge. So yeah, you have to be very careful. You obviously don't want to bring people who are unhappy and are going to be ranting <laughs> throughout this session. But I think it's important to really hear the feedback from everyone.
0: So I think there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on here. One is, you know, the way you handle that customer in front of the other customers, it demonstrates your commitment and just your ethics as a business, right? How you're going to run the business. So I think that's really important in terms of bringing people to a vision that you are customer driven. But also I think for C-suite leaders who are reticent to put their customers in a room for fear of that interaction. I think we have to make sure they all know these folks are sharing their opinions anyway, right? They're on G2, they're in their Slack groups or Facebook groups, talking about your solution and their problems anyway, especially if you've got a lot of problems. Yeah. So I think we need to, as marketers, kind of help our leadership to have courage that a CAB could be a great way to either accelerate all the things that are good or really mm-hmm. hear what's not as good and get a handle on it. And the risks are very low, I think, especially if you're thoughtful in how you put those groups together.
1: Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you have to trust that your customers are professionals too. So they're not going to come in and, you know, rip you apart. Hopefully it's really what you're saying. Like they're going to be talking about you anyway, outside of your CAV, right? So you might as well have it in-house. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the the idea that they don't have a way to find out or share their opinions, that's very 20 years ago. Yeah. There's plenty of opportunity to find out about you as as a vendor. So let's talk a little bit about how you measure success And how you want your business to measure success and any recommendations you have about changing what the C-suite is measuring? Because I can't tell you how many times we get into the situation where we have the demand generation, you know, mind meld. And then the next thing I hear is, well, how many MQLs are we going to get next month? So how do you manage that process of the rethink of the KPIs?
1: Yeah, so this goes back to what we were saying about Legion versus Dimension. And for those of us who have been doing Legion for a long time, and you know, your executives are used to that, the board is used to that, the sales team is used to that, you can't just like turn it off one day and hope that, you know, things are going to be fine the next day. I've been reading a few posts on LinkedIn lately that, you know, people saying like, well, there's some predictability with your Legion. So you at least have that. And so you know, as you move on to Dimension, you have to walk that balance, right? And be careful when you turn it off, if you decide to turn it off, it's not just, you know, let's ungate everything today. And then the next month, like you're saying, you don't have MQLs. So I definitely think we all need to take that journey and move towards more of a demand and motion. But yeah, you can not turn it off overnight. So for me, what we should be measuring is meetings, opportunities, pipeline, revenue, but you know, your leads are still your leading indicator, right? If you see how many leads are coming to your website to ask for the demo, to ask to speak with sales, all of those high intent, and leads, those are still leading indicators for the rest of your business. So I think you still need to track it debatable if you should share those results with, you know, the board executives, et cetera. But again, if you've been sharing it like that for years and years, you also can't just like, you know, stop sharing it because then the next question is like, wait, what, what is this new report? Right. I want to yeah, see what like, happened What, what happened reading.
0: to my leads. Right.
1: Right. Right. So it but- is a fine line, but I think we need to, like you're saying, we need to educate the executives, the board everyone across the business in terms of, hey, what are the real indicators that we need to be looking at?
0: So this real indicator, I think that's a real path, right? The meetings, opportunities, pipeline, and revenue. We have a new acronym, the MOPER, right? (laughs) That'll be our KPI KPI set, the MOPER. But seriously, I think as an executive, a meeting sounds a lot more tangible to me than a marketing qualified lead. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody had a meeting that was of value, so we're reporting it. That meeting or series of meetings created some opportunity
1: mm-hmm. and we
0: can start to put a number on it yeah then it gets into our pipeline right now it's a qualified deal. These are far more intentional things to count KPIs to measure than you know the number of website visits or clicks or downloads which you know we have clients in that world you know they're still in the world of website visits, clicks, downloads being yeah. measured. So is it possible to segment part of your business and say, hey, this is my vision and I want to show you, you know, the folks that are addicted to the lead, general <laughs> I'd like to show you the difference. Is that one way to introduce it in a change management framework?
1: Yeah. So the folks at Cognizant have done a really great job of this. And what they say is, you know, separate, start by separating your funnel, right? And not all leads are created equal, like we said. So separate the funnel between the, you know, high intent demos, speak with sales, et cetera versus the rest of the leads that are just, you know, browsing, researching, downloading content, but not really, you know, high intent leads. And then if you separate those, you start to see your conversion rates are very, very different. So that's when you can start to prove, hey, board, hey, executives, you know, this is the actual, you know, high intent people that are hitting the website. They're asking to speak with us versus the rest. Like, yes, they're still there. We can still track them, but, you know, they're not going to hit a meeting right away. We're very lucky because we have the team of BDRs sit on their marketing at Riverbed, which I really love because we work with them very, very closely. Our field marketers work with them very closely. So they can all get together every week. They review like, hey, what's happening, you know, certain campaigns, certain events, all of that. They really track all of that very closely. But I think that's where it starts. Separate your funnel, start to see, you know, the high intent versus non-high intent leads. And that is where you can start to build that business case and build that, you know, narrative to really move into more of a demand. Gen motion, but I think for a while, if you are still stuck with lead gen, you're gonna have to report both for a while. You, like we said, we can't just turn it off overnight, right?
0: Well, sure. I mean, if you're the new marketing leader and you know on day 10, you say, Hey, we're not going to report on leads anymore, you might not get to right. day 20, right? You know, you, <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. That,
0: that might not be the way to manage that change of perspective. Absolutely. Um. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. I think we got some insights to share with our listeners. And if people want to reach out to you directly to learn more about Riverbed or your perspective on demand generation, how can they get you?
1: Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Christina D'Aroca, Christina with a C and no H. So yeah, you can find me there.
0: Perfect. And likewise, I'm on LinkedIn slash in slash Ken Lempit. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do so. We're available wherever podcasts are distributed. And Christina, thank you so much for making this a great episode and look forward to speaking again soon.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much to you, Ken.
0: Awesome. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Backwards Podcast brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempett at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject. We hope you'll subscribe, and thanks again for listening.